1: One of the greatest lines we've got in Christendom. Not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We'll explore that amazing statement by Paul here in Romans coming up next. Join us. ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Gary Wagner. Today we are back in Romans chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 17, continuing a message entitled, Not Ashamed of the Gospel, Part 2. There is so much to explore in just this one thought the Apostle Paul lays out in Romans that we need plenty of time to dive into it deeply. So join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary with today's program.
2: We saw last week that as weak as men are, as weak as human preachers are, God has said that His gospel preaching is His power unto salvation. It is the way He has chosen to bring dead men out of their tombs. Now in verse 17, when Paul adds to that, that the gospel is not only God's power unto salvation, but it is the revelation of his righteousness, we should have so much wonder at this, that the very gospel we get to hear today, God shakes the heavens and the earth, and like a lightning bolt from the throne of grace, he shows us in an instant His holiness, our sinfulness, and his provision for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, everything hinges on that little word there in verse 17, righteousness. Everything hinges upon it. One day, you're going to feel how much you need this. And I sincerely hope it's not too late. You're going to feel how much you must have this righteousness that God here offers to us in the gospel. We get some sense of what it's like to be in the presence of God from holy men in Scripture that were oftentimes confronted with Him. Think of Job, think of Daniel, Abraham, Moses at the burning bush, and David. Think of John on the island of Patmos. And remember who these men were. They were good men, made so by God's grace. They were friends of God. They were his prophets and apostles. And he just came to them to say, Hey, I've got a word for you, and I want you to give that word to the church. And what happened to them at that point? They were cast down like dead men. They were struck dumb and silent. Godly men that they were. When they saw something of his majesty, everything that was good in them, everything they thought was noble. This all just vaporizes in a moment when they see the majesty and the holiness of God. Now, if that was true of those men, imagine what it is going to be like on the day of judgment. And we're called to give an account. Imagine what it's going to be like when you die and you are personally called to give an account before Almighty God. Things on earth that we think are noble. Things on earth that we think are virtuous. Things on earth that we think, hey, That person certainly has it all together. Before his holy presence, it's all going to be looked at as nothing but corruption. Remember, as it says in the book of Job, chapter 4, verse 18, he charges his angels with folly. And remember, his angels are perfect. How much more is is he going to charge us with folly? unless when we stand before him, we don't come in our own name, we don't come in our own robes. Because let me tell you, if we come before God's presence when we die, if we stand on that final day clothed in our own robes, the sight of God that cast us down will be the sight of God that opens the gates of hell for us forever. Because when we stand before him, There must be a righteousness that he gives. There must be a righteousness that he accepts. There must be a righteousness that will stand up to his penetrating holy gaze. And that he can say, I know that righteousness. For this is mine. That is what the gospel offers to us. That is what the gospel offers to each of us today. Now, when the gospel comes to us, you have to understand the righteousness that is offered is not enough. Paul is not even talking here about a good life, a purity of life that flows from the gospel. He's going to talk about that later in chapters 6 through 8. But that is not what he's talking about here, when he is talking about righteousness, here, he's talking about that fundamental righteousness before God by which we move from being condemned criminals to being accepted before the Father as his own sons and daughters. That is what the gospel gives to us when it preaches Christ to us and his obedience and his righteousness. And we receive it by faith. Now notice this gospel is so magnificent. This righteousness. That Paul calls it a revelation. He says this righteousness of God is revealed from heaven. The word here instead revealed is a form of apocalypse. Which is a very dramatic word. It is a dynamic word. It means something That we could not have discovered. Something that we ourselves could never have searched by our own reason. We are not going to get it by scouring the earth for good works. And from religious gurus or the principles of the day. There is something that has to shine out of the very throne of God. There is something that he has to give us. And remember when that gospel comes... It comes in the power of God. Verse 16, and don't separate verse 16 and verse 17. When God's God's gospel is preached, he brings with it his power. And it's either to heal or it is to kill. And he brings the revelation of his righteousness. And what does that righteousness reveal? Well, it reveals two main things. The first sparkling of the gospel, the first revelation that the gospel gives to us is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We cannot see anything of God's holiness or be struck by it unless he comes and he reveals himself to us. Adam and Eve were just fresh off of a sin. They were as close to God as anyone has ever been since the fall. And when they saw God, they ran away. All men today are hiders. All men are fleers unless God with his gospel comes and shows them his holiness. Why does he have to show us his holiness? Why does he have to show you that he is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity? Why does he have to show you that he is just as upright in all of his ways? Why does he have to come and proclaim his name to us like he did to Moses in Exodus 34 verse 7 and say, I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished? It is because until we see something of the holiness and the purity and the majesty of God, we are always going to walk around in a fog of our own vanity. That's how we're going to walk around. You see, we're going to think we're good, we're going to think that we have something to offer God. Isn't that how men are walking around today? I mean, we've got all kinds of people out there, even in the church, you know. Well, there's a wound, yes, but let's just give it a light healing and let's cover it with the bandages of humanism so that you might feel better and give you three things to fix your life. Of course, others out there in the world are doing everything in their own puny strength to lead a good life. I mean, after all, God's not so just that he's going to send me to hell forever if I've done some good things, right? After all, I'm at a heart better than Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and all the other evil people we can bring up. You see, men like to hide. Others try. Well, I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to be nice to everyone. I won't even step on an ant. You see... We always go into things, these kinds of delusions. And what is the main one today? What do most Americans, including most Christians, believe? Man is basically good. And the only thing that can shatter that illusion and break down all of those barriers that re-erect to prevent God from showing us who we truly are is when He comes in the gospel and reveals to us His holiness. Because His holiness burns up all of our fairy tales. You see, that's what they are. Some people think, well, my fairy tale is going to be philosophy. Philosophy. Uh, They learn well from Satan how to try and think without reference to God and His Word. Other people want to go to the temple of science and history. We'll protect ourselves through knowledge. We must be confronted with the holiness of God. And when we hear of righteousness... The righteousness of God that is the first thing we must think about. That God is righteous in all of His ways. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Have you lied? Beloved, you're going to hell. Have you been discontented? You are going to hell. Have you said damn one time in your life? You're going to hell. Why? You're going to hell because you damned God whether you aimed at Him or not. Have you ever wanted anything someone else had that you know you couldn't have and it ate you up? You're going to hell. Have you ever loved anyone else or anything else for one second more than your love for pleasing God? You're going to hell Because he is holy in all of his ways and he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished at all. And when we stand before him, guess what goes down? All our barriers, the fig leaves, and everything we put up in this life to try and hide from God. It is all burned up. So Paul says, that is what the gospel does. And he starts out in Romans here with the theme of the whole book, right here at this high place with the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel, because there is another sparkle that has to come. And it is a second voice that we have to hear, because it's not enough for you to leave here today saying, yeah, I am guilty, and yes, I'm probably going to hell. And you know, I know people like that in my life who would say, yeah, I'm going to hell, and I know it. No quandary. Fools, fools, fools. When God comes and He offers His gospel to us, He just doesn't elevate His holiness. He shows there is a remedy because why does He cast us down? Why does He want us to see the filth of our own hearts? Why does he want us to see this? Is it so we'll just walk around all day with a coat of nine ires, a cat of nine ires, and uh, sorry, a cat of nine tails, punishing ourselves all day long? So that even as professing Christians, we'll give ourselves to guilt induced piety? Well, I don't do very well. I didn't do very well when I was. Excuse me, when I was young. So I'm going to punish myself for the rest of my life. That is not why God tells us these things. This is not why he reveals his holiness to us. He reveals his holiness to us so that in seeing ourselves as we truly are, we will then look away from ourselves and realize there is no hope here. There's no hope here. I can do nothing in and of myself to come up with the righteousness that God wants. I can't be nice. I can't be that good. I can't try and be respectful. I can't even try and obey my parents. I can't love my husband or wife. I cannot do anything to make myself fundamentally righteous before God. Nothing. All have sinned. The soul that sins, it shall die. And please, understand when he reveals his holiness, it is not just, he's not just trying to get us to see, oh yeah, there is such a thing as sin in the world. You know, those Democrats, they're very, sin- they're very sinful. Those Republicans, they're very sinful. But that's not enough to say. Because it's not man's sin in general that sends men to hell. It is your sin. It's not sin in general. It is not the existence of pornography. It's not abortion. It's not homosexuality. You see, all of those things that we look at and say, Oh yeah, those are bad sins. That is not what sends men to hell. It's not just, yeah, there is such a thing as sin, but it is my sin that sells me, sends me to hell forever. My disrespect, my failure to listen to my parents, my unbelief, my covetousness, my I just want to be liked. You know, there are, going, there are a lot of people in hell whose main cardinal sin, apart from the fact that they rejected God... Is that they wanted others to like them. So they were willing to do anything to have other people like them. Is that any of you? You will go to hell for that sin. Unless in seeing God's holiness and in being cast down with your own sins, you look to the remedy of God that he has provided. And you will have another voice, a voice of Mercy a voice offering righteousness to you, and you accept it. Paul says, God is offering this to you right now. Beloved, you know I don't preach tradition. I don't just preach nice theology. I believe in what Scripture tells us. So what Scripture says is, when I preach the gospel today in 2021... God is offering righteousness to you right here and now. If you repent and believe the gospel, but you've got to start with the holiness of God or you will never come to Christ. You've got to start with the holiness of God and what he says in his word, that you have not kept it. Or you will always walk around with a delusion. I'm okay And I'm not going to die and go to hell. I'll make a deal with God. It's all going to work out okay. After all, I was baptized. So I'll get to it later on. I'll just flip a switch of piety and seriousness later. No, you won't. Not until and unless God shows you His holiness and you see your wickedness. And he may do it, if you hear his word today, but he doesn't give his word to people all the time. Those who trample upon it usually lose it. Those who will not give themselves to it and bow before it and wonder at the power and the righteousness of God, he often takes the word away from them and lets them languish. Because here is the opportunity that he gave to you today through me repent and believe the gospel see my he says holiness and look at your own filth in comparison and also look at what i'm revealing to you he says i'm revealing a righteousness to you that i accept that is really what the phrase the righteousness of god means it means a righteousness that God provides. It means a righteousness He accepts. Not what political correctness accepts. Not even what your parents accept. Not what your spouse accepts. Because as important as the opinion of those whom you love are on earth, when we stand before God, we won't even be, it won't even be in our heads at all that we have, that we have been accepted by anyone else. When we stand before God, they won't even be in our heads at all. We're not going to care one iota, what our wife's opinion was on something or our husband. We're not going to care in the least what mama thought about this. We're not going to care at all what daddy thought about this. We're going to care. We're not going to care about what the preacher even thought about this. All we're going to care about is what Does God care about me right now? Because my whole destiny is laid out before me. It is either heaven or hell. And he is laying this out to you to paint the picture for you today in the gospel. This is a righteousness. He gives in the gospel that he accepts. It is from him. In fact, this should just be called God's righteousness. It is not his essential righteousness, meaning we don't kind of just fuse in with him. But it is a righteousness that is truly and fully from him, unto him, and it magnifies him, and it meets all of the demands of his holiness. And where is that righteousness to be found? Well, the next three chapters are going to explain it in detail. But that righteousness is, of course, found in Jesus Christ alone. Let me tell you something you need to know about the Lord Jesus. He did not come to primarily set for you a good example. Do you know why? Because for you and me, the good example is pointless until we are made right with God. Because I can't follow him until then. I mean, he could be living it right here in front of me. I can't follow it. That is why I believe Thomas Jefferson is in hell today. Because when he looked at Jesus Christ, oh, that's my example. Love your neighbor. That is the Jesus I want. Because, you see, he didn't want the Jesus that demanded repentance and sends people to hell. He said, all I need to do is follow Christ's example you know we spit on the son of god and we trample upon his cross unless we understand something fundamental about him the whole reason that he left his fellowship and glory with the father and we will never know how wonderful that was but the reason he came clothed in our nature the reason he became flesh was not only so he could suffer and die on the cross, but something even before suffering and dying on the cross that makes his suffering and dying on the cross so powerful to save us was that he came to obey God perfectly.